0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. Hey. hey. Dragon Talk. This is Woo. the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast.
1: And sometimes musical.
0: I'm Greg Tito and I'm joined by Shelley Mazanoble. How are you? Hi. I'm very excited Hi. to be with you on this wonderful podcast episode. Me too. We've got so many fun things to go over and talk about in the Dungeons and Dragons world. Uh, we are gonna have yep. a fantastic interview with uh Abria Ayengar, who is I wait. gosh, just a joy, right?
1: Ugh, my new favorite.
0: Yeah. And she is uh in a mini-series on Dimension 20, uh that has a cast. Of so many of our favorite people. I think all of them have been guests on Dragon Talk in the past, including Brennan Lee Mulligan, the uh, the Dungeon Master for Dimension Twenty, uh, uh, Abria okay. Iyengar, Christina Ariel, B. Dave oh Walters, Carlos Luna, Matt Mercer, and Marisha Ray. What?
2: What? what? How did this happen? It's
0: a uh, dream casting. Uh, it's so great.
1: It's a- total dream all my favorites I have many favorites as it turns out and when I say favorites I really mean just almost everybody
0: they're fantastic people all of them and it is great to be able to talk to uh, Abria about her character and what it was like in that experience Uh, in addition to uh, you know tons of great stuff about how to be creative and work with your ADHD brain yep which is important for many people on this podcast (laughs) as well as those listening at home
1: Agreed. Cool.
0: So stick around for that. Uh, we also have a wonderful lore you should know with Ari Levitch uh, about mythic odysseys of Theros, uh, kind of closing awesome. out our segments there. Um, that book is out, and it is in its all glory, right, Shelley?
1: Yes, and it's beautiful.
0: Beautiful. You should check it out. It's a way to get into a Dungeons & Dragons universe that is not based on uh you know kind of european medieval times but more classical uh greek uh deities and adventures and epic uh stories being told and it has a lot of fun deities being in the world and the underworld and you know it's full of great content that you can pick apart and put in your homebrew or, or to run it whole cloth and it is available now Local game stores. There's two covers. There's an alt cover that is fantastic, uh, and then you can get the standard cover wherever you buy Dungeons and Dragons, including at D&D Beyond, Roll Twenty, and Fantasy Crowns. If you're in a digital mindset, <laughs> uh, I like that. And uh, yeah, and then we announced a couple other fun things that you were working on, Shelly Right? What uh, what are some of those?
1: Well, the Great Delmuti Dungeons and Dragons the great Del Moody card game you might be familiar with. It's celebrating its 25th anniversary today. It's my age. And um, I didn't mean today. I said today, didn't I? I meant this year. Like, it, actually, it could be today. Who knows? <laughs> um, but this was a card game published by Wizards 25 years ago, designed by Richard Garfield. And we thought, what a cool way to celebrate the 25th anniversary of this game that is still out there, still available, still beloved by people, still being discovered by people today, Than to make a Dungeons and Dragons version of it. So gameplay is the same. Uh, it's very similar to a game called President or called something else yes. if you're in college. Um, that's it's just fun. It's it's for 4 to 8 players. Um kids can play it. It's you know a game of one upmanship um but we changed it for D&D because we uh worked with illustrator Harry Conway who is incredibly talented. He's a a fantasy illustrator and he just has this gorgeous gorgeous art style that's very very different from anything that D&D has really done before and it really stands out in that way. And um he redesigned all of the cards Adam Lee renamed all of the 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 cards um so that it's got more of a D and d feel to it and um he adam Lee even wrote like a beautiful little poem for inside the rule book, which I just love yeah, so it's just it's just a fun little um pickup game it's just a fun thing to have around you know especially as we head into the holidays and people are gonna you know be still spending a lot of time with their families. You might want to add this game to your your repertoire. I like
0: that you were saying you wanted to put it on your coffee table as a coffee table game.
1: Yes, because it's it's stunning. The, car- the art is really really beautiful. It's and gorgeous. we felt like it's kind of a risk because you know it's it's so much of a departure from what people are used to seeing. But um, we felt like this was the right game to try it on, and and the the fans have. Responded very positively. So if you haven't checked it out yet, just go to um, DungeonsAndDragons.com, of course. Just go look at the, that beautiful product page because we've put um, all of the art there. And also check out the latest issue of, of Dragon Plus because there'll be an interview with Harry, the illustrator, in there. So we're going to definitely want to feature him and his beautiful talent. That's awesome.
0: Uh, put, sign me yeah. up for a list of uh, prints of these uh, this artwork. That's in right? the Great Del Moody, uh, D&D release because it just—I don't know—I feel it feels like it would adorn anybody's game room uh, or just their 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 living space. The How? Like, it's actually—it's yeah, so great. Yeah, it would great. just be something. Yeah.
1: yeah, you could just see it and just stop and stare and say, "What? What is this?"
0: Uh, it's I'm it's curious. a Dungeons and Dragons game that we shall play uh, uh, in this online dinner ask. party we're having. Aww. <laughs> Um, that's great and then of course uh, speaking of great card artwork um, you can get a oversized foil stamped Taroka deck in Curse of Strahd revamped coming this October 20th a coffin shaped box full of amazing uh, artifacts and things you can use in running Curse of Strahd one of our most popular D&D adventures uh, published for uh, D&D 5th edition Featuring uh, the you know area of Barovia uh, with Castle, Castle Ravenloft and its terrifying villain, er, Count Strad von Zerovich. I was really trying to make sure I got that right in my head.
1: Uh, Sometimes I reverse the order; I get confused. Yes,
0: you're like S- Zerovich von or- Strad, the Count. <laughs> <laughs> His name's a palindrome. Uh, I don't know if you know yeah. that, but it is, uh, it's true. Uh, but no, what? lots of great stuff in there. The adventure is ready to be rerun. There's postcards uh, with great artwork that you can send out to your players to invite yep. them to Barovia, super into the Bowl. mists. Um, it's, it's fantastic.
1: Uh, there's a Dungeon Master screen in there, too. The Dungeon Master screen. Yeah, you get that in a beautiful four-panel uh, screen with also the, the super cool art on it. three booklets. Um that the adventure has broken out into one booklet. The there's a, a booklet for the monsters that appear in the adventure, which makes it super easy for dungeon masters to reference. Yeah. And then there's a the beautiful eight page taroka deck. So if you're looking for a new side hustle, you could do taroka deck readings for your friends.
0: Ooh, I like that. And you can tell them yeah. uh where the Sword of the Morning is, and then you know, they can go find yeah. that in their lives and use it to slay the yeah. vampires that are plaguing them. Yeah, go. I think this is all valid stuff. Um, I also want to make sure to shout out Beetle and Grimm's, they're doing a uh legendary edition, I believe, of uh, Curse of Strahd as well. That one's at a high bit of a higher price point, but it's got even more bells and whistles within it, including a wonderful map by Devin Rue, uh, another. Dragon Talk guest, who is amazing uh, at what they do. Uh, So if you're interested in uh, investing even more uh, in uh, in Curse of Chod, go jump into that. But if you're looking for something around the $100 mark, uh, Curse of Chod Revamped is going to be available October 20th.
1: Just in time for the spooky time of year. You know, I feel like
0: every part time of year especially in 2020 is a spooky time of year is that true for That's you That's
1: true This is um it's like a a darker colder spookier time of year
0: Yeah okay yeah. with with actual you know leaves and stuff falling spider season mm-hmm. is coming I, I I Spider season is here I cleaned out my uh my carport and there were so many of those huge giant house <sighs> spiders in addition to like five other species of spider that I discovered in there and I'm like yeah spider season's already here
1: you know, do we need a, a species of spider called house spiders? Because no, oh, they, they nothing about spiders in house. They're not. Like, just, I don't like when people refer to them as like house spiders. They're not just I house don't spiders. Wa- house spiders. The actual
0: species name is giant house spiders. One of which I found okay. five feet away from no. me. You know, two nights ago, as I was like stepping no. out of the bathroom, no. I'm like, oh, it's got.
1: If you're going to be a giant spider, then you need to be like a giant deserted parking lot spider. <laughs> A giant <laughs> tundra spider. Like we don't need you in our houses. It's
0: true. Um, Do not. And I, I, after I was talking about this on Twitter a little bit uh, at Greg Tito, uh, they everybody's like, "Oh wait, what spider season? What's that?" And I realized <laughs> that many people don't know, but in in the Western Washington area uh, of of the United States, basically, like early September to October is spider season, where there's just webs. Everywhere, like every every outside, you basically have to hold your ha- your hand up in front of your face if you're walking anywhere with trees or branches because you will invariably get spider webs in your face.
1: Yep, and you know once you got a spider web anywhere on you, it's so hard to get it off. Yeah. You can't see it, but you can just feel it. Oh, and now I feel like I'm covered in webs. Now I, uh. you
0: know, there's d and D term for that. There's a in world, yeah, loth touched. Is that feeling? Oh, wait, is that feeling of having spider webs on you? And I think about that every time spider season comes around, and it gets in my hair, and I don't like it. It's gross. Not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. So, don't move to Seattle if you've got any kind of arachnophobia, uh, or you uh, you know don't have a flamethrower ready. Right. Just throwing that out there. Or you know maybe maybe you like or maybe you are a follower of Lulz, in which case this it's is your dream. Uh, and Australia, yeah. apparently, is also very good for you.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Excellent. Well, we are going to move on ahead with our as You Should Know segments. Uh, and then we'll follow up oh. with our interview with Abria, which is going to be fantastic. So, Shelly, okay. anything else you want to talk about before we move on?
1: Oh, I'm excited to get on with it. <laughs> let's get on I with am. it. I am. I know we got some good stuff coming up in this episode. All right,
0: let's, let's uh, get Ari on the phone. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, bing bong Hello and welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment I'm Greg Tito and today I'm joined by Ari Levitch Hi Ari
2: Hello
0: uh, on this segment where we delve into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore for funsies as well as for possible inclusion in your game if you're including some of the material from Mythic Odysseys of Theros, which is out in stores and available digitally everywhere now, a more classically themed... Yeah, there you go. You got the, uh, the I'm books. I'm so excited <laughs> and the to covers. actually have
2: this in my hands. Oh,
0: me too. Uh, actually, I, I don't have one yet.
2: Uh, ooh, sorry. Pardon me. I have two books. I am just, I have a, an abundance of books. You are books. lousy
0: with books. <laughs> I am uh, excited and uh, uh, honored to talk through some of more of the deities uh, within Theros. Um, and as we've alluded to in some of our segments with Adam Lee, as well as you, Ari, uh, there is, the, the current gods of Theros are not the ones that have been Uh, in charge uh, or venerated by the peoples there for this entire time there were some some first gods out there
2: yeah so the the pantheon includes almost like um like three generations of gods if you were to kind of characterize it that way Mm -hmm. and the the first gods they're still in the pantheon but at one point they were the kind of the only gods um these are the gods uh, Kruphix and Clothis. And I know Adam talked a little bit about Kruphix, but I kind of want to frame a little bit about kind of the origin of the gods to uh, in this conversation. And then we could talk a little bit more about uh, Clothis. Perfect. But, so, as we talked about before, that, that one of the unique aspects of Theros as a world is, the, is this uh, concept of Nyx, which is this kind of manifestation element, you know, that it looks like, you know, the night sky. It has this kind of star field. Uh, 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 visualization, but it it has this power to manifest things in reality. And before we had the gods, there were these manifestations of these kind of primal fears, and these were the titans. And kind of alongside that came the first two gods, and uh, Adam talked about Kruphix, who's this god of mystery, this god of the unknown. Mm. And so it was this kind of manifestation, this mortal manifestation of the concept of a world that is large, or a universe that is larger than themselves, this unknown uh, element, that there are things to discover. But alongside that, there is uh, the the god Clothis, who is the god of destiny. Um, But Clothis also represents this kind of cosmic order, that there are things that essentially have their right place.
0: So does that mean almost like a predetermination, like a Calvinist kind of idea?
2: No, so destiny is not necessarily about predestiny or like a a preordained kind of way things work, but there is a kind of an, a cosmic order to things. Uh, one of the things that sets gods apart and mortals or and heroic mortals, heroes, uh, are this this idea that they can kind of forge their own path, even in a cosmic sense. Um, whereas most people will kind of go along in this order uh, that uh, that uh, Clothus kind of oversees. There are people, there are individuals and entities that kind of can shirk that. Mm. Uh, One thing that kind of throws a wrench into that is part of the history of the gods. So I mentioned the Titans before as being this kind of manifestations of these destructive uh, forces or primal fears. And those forces, those Titans, uh, threatened to kind of overwhelm Theros uh, early on uh, as a world. And so Clothis and Kruphix. Trapped and bound uh, the Titans, and uh, Clothis retreated to the underworld to uh, oversee the uh, bondage of the Titans, and she has been down there for ages, and only recently has reemerged because mortals and and the pettiness of the uh, of the gods themselves um, has kind of started to unravel these strands of of destiny to a point where she kind of has to set things right. So she can be this wrathful god, um, even set against the other gods and mortals who have kind of upset this cosmic order.
0: Interesting. So uh, I didn't realize Clothis was, uh, you know, a, a female presenting god. Uh, that's interesting. So it feels almost like a, uh, like a jailer to a certain extent of the Titans. Does she, does she actively keep uh, the Titans, uh, you know, freedom from them?
2: Yeah, yeah, um, and through the the story that that played out in the uh, the first card set of of Theros, um, there was a a um, a satyr uh, named Xenagos who ascended to godhood, mm. and there was this whole plot to to thwart Xenagos and kind of cast him out of the pantheon, which succeeded, but it was basically the last straw for Clothus. Clothus is like, you know what? Enough is enough. You gods and mortals are messing with things that are bigger than yourselves, and I'm going to reemerge from the underworld um, and basically leave my post at holding these titans back. And I need to set things right, kind of uh, in 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 the in the realms of the gods and mortals, and just kind of reemerge as a presence. So, like where other gods will have you know all sorts of shrines and uh, rituals associated with them. Clothis is mysterious to to most mortals. There are lots of mortals who don't even know Clothis exists that that, that kind of yeah. part of the pantheon was non-existent until until recently.
0: Well, I was going to ask then, how does she sustain her power then? Because yeah. what we've talked about before is that, you know, a lot of the gods are uh, ascend to godhood or have their powers derived from people within uh, Theros believing in them and worshipping them. And if she was a somewhat secret to many peoples, how did she still have power?
2: So this is an oddity about that first generation of gods that both neither Kruphix nor Clothis actually require the uh, direct worship of of mortals because they're manifestations of these kind of earlier, almost like not even, not fears in the way that Titans are and not kind of... uh, social concepts the way the kind of more recent gods are, but these are kind of more cosmic truths that were essentially given form. So you have this god of mystery and this god of cosmic order that are kind of on opposite sides of, of, of almost like a mortal's wonder, right? Like what is, what is this universe about? What is, what are the components in this universe? And they almost they exist beyond kind of immortals acknowledgement of uh yeah so they're they're interesting in that way i mean even
0: interesting so almost like people just questioning their reality was enough to give power to you know the god of mystery i guess that makes
2: sense yeah i think that's a great way of looking at it and just even the fact that these gods have have a, an immense amount of power I mean, Krufix, for example, like putting Clothus aside for a moment, Krufix had the power to kind of shut the gods off from the mortals uh, in this thing called the silence. Mm. Um, and the fact that, that that one of these kind of first gods has this power even over the other gods makes the other gods nervous and probably a little uncomfortable with that. But Krufix and Clothus don't have the ambitions of these kind of, what they would probably see as these immature petty gods. And so yeah, they exist kind of apart from the rest of the pantheon.
0: Okay. So uh, how could uh dungeon masters use this uh you know, th- these ideas, these bigger than bigger than life ideas uh in, you know, more practical gameplay.
2: Yeah, I think there's there, there's a lot of kind of um there's a lot of uh space to play with 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 Clothus as an entity in in terms of Clothis emerging from the underworld into a Theros that has changed and seeing all the things like civilization emerge. Civilization, Clothis, is probably a, a little uncomfortable with this idea of mortals trying to wrest control of the cosmos themselves, right? Mm. That they, they could shape their destiny in their own way is probably a a little off-putting to Clothis. So you can imagine Clothis as... An antagonistic figure in that way, um, but at the same time, Clothus also can also be a patron of setting things right, that there is um, things that you know I can imagine if you 're using um, aberrations as kind of a, a major uh, antagonist in your campaign that Clothus would be that, that an aberration would be antithetical to everything that Clothis stands for um, wow. this idea that the, this is a twisting of reality in creating these types of monsters. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of place to, and I, I think there's an exciting thing to do, uh, to play with. Imagine, imagine discovering kind of an old ancient shrine dedicated to Clothis that was forgotten for ages and ages and ages, or finding a hermit that might not even know that they still, that they, or that they do worship Clothis or follow Clothis in some way. They might not be entirely aware of the, the fact that their rituals are something that, Clothus would admire or uh, appreciate. Um, Mm. You could you can tap into uh, you could. though Titans aren't in the book because they are. I don't don't even know what kind of. I don't even know if our CR system can accommodate what a Titan can do. But you can (laughs) imagine this cosmic force of a Titan and the threat of a Titan coming uh, or reemerging into the world as because Clothus left the underworld as something that might drive your entire campaign.
0: Oh, okay. That's really interesting. Yeah, right. Because because she left her post uh, to handle what's happening with the mortals. Uh, while you're handling that, then this major cosmic threat is unleashed because of that. And you could almost deal with a patron of of Clothis, you know, uh, full of remorse. You know, full that's of right. Like, I, I hey, I try to set this right, but I actually made things worse. And I need mortals' help now to, to the, the hubris bring it of back. a god is a, is a
2: fun concept to play with too. Like that is something interesting. Yeah, um, you could even play with this idea. So one thing I didn't mention was that Clothus uh, has this impossibly long hair, and that these the strands of her hair are woven into the fabric of destiny itself. Oh, so you could imagine, you can even play with this kind of manifestation of like a literal strand of her hair. That maybe has come loose from the fabric of destiny, and now you have to set that, or you have to, you know, reintegrate whatever that quest means. I don't know, but there are things you could do. Imagine like stumbling upon that, or something tangled up in that. You know, you could, you could, you could, you could play with that as well.
0: Could there also be characters, uh, player characters, that are trying to um, rewrite their destiny? That might want to, you know, subvert the strands of her hair or you know steal them and then use them to to further their own goals
2: absolutely I think that's a great way to, to even to realize that concept because heroes on theros are set apart from other mortals and that they do kind of have have a, have a greater degree of control over their destiny and what does that mean when they come in contact with with Clothus or Clothus's agents or followers and or if they do want to you know, rest control of that strand, whatever that whatever that means. Like you get to play with that as a DM and kind of write that kind of, that part of the myth, which I think is exciting.
0: I love the idea of playing with destiny, uh, since it seems wrapped up in the uh heroes and storytelling that is going on in Theros, you know, kind of on the mortal plane, but having, you know, gods and deities be affected by it is uh a, a wonderful thing. Do you think that Introducing some of this stuff in the early levels is okay. And how would you go about doing that? Because I feel like a lot of what we're talking about is high level play, right? Like being able to deal with these these greater cosmic things. You know, how do we bring that back to, you know, say a third level character?
2: Um, I think you could do that in terms of like I mean, you might get Clothis' attention. Let's say let's say you, you thwart some some kind of low level baddie. And uh, you are approached by an emissary of Clothis who basically commends you for setting things right, that, that what, what was about to transpire was against the cosmic order. And it's almost like you could play them like, uh, if you are a Marvel fan, like the Watcher, Wattu mm. uh, right? Who kind of is this observer of, of the universe who tries not to get really involved, but, uh, you know, will kind of push heroes in the right direction for the kind of to set things right according to kind of a cosmic order. And I think in a similar way you could play with Clothis's emissaries that way. Clothis reemerging into the mortal realm means that that mortals become aware of her, that there is, there is this sense that she's not this absentee God anymore. And so mm. you get to play with that too. And kind of the ripple effects of what that means for the Pantheon and and their their followers and so you can have this kind of you could play you could start your campaign with the premise being Clothis has reemerged from the underworld onto the mortal realm cool that's your premise what does that mean what are the ramifications of all of that what is her first action as she comes you know comes back and i think that that's something that's, that could that could play out across um, levels of play um, and i think that whether you could set the heroes as as some of her first champions which mm. could be a fun thing and she doesn't care what other gods they worship it doesn't matter as long as they serve this greater function which which is kind of interesting
0: that is cool uh you mentioned Ooh. her her hair uh what other you know aspects of her physical appearance uh can you can you describe uh so, not just not just in her looks but also in um you know what kind of Weapons or artifacts or anything that she might be associated with.
2: Yeah, she's got this cool like spear-like weapon that is almost like a shaped, shaped like a spindle. So you have this kind of Ooh. weaving uh, motif going through her. If I could do show and tell, is that okay? Can I? Uh, yeah, sure. All right.
0: We can uh, say what number of page it is, so people who are listening can can uh, have a visual.
2: So on page fifty nine, you will see the visual of Clothis.
0: Ooh, kind of, her spear. Oh, she's got of she's got a blindfold
2: yeah that's actually her hair that crosses over her eyes and she oh. has uh, she has six horns that kind of curl around her head as well
0: what are what's the significance of the strands of destiny covering her eyes
2: um I to remember now um the the I, I, it's the idea that I, I don't if I had to speculate. I could be wrong. Somebody's going to comment and be like, you're totally wrong. Ari. I'm like, okay. Now, <laughs> you this both would be reverse Ari, engineering. You should know this. all this. <laughs> yeah. This would be reverse engineering. So, um, the idea that she's not through her own will shaping these things, that she is overseeing this, uh, this cosmic order, that it is not by her own will.
0: So, it's similar to, you know, justice is blind it, kind yeah, of idea yeah. that like it, that it's you, playing in that space. Right. Yeah. All right. I love that. Um, and then what are the horns? I apologize, she- Magic
2: Creative Team, if I totally bungled that.
0: So. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll fix it in post. Don't worry. Yeah, about it. It's
2: fine. <laughs> um, they can change
0: theirs. And this is that's the whole point about yeah, this is how you would do it as as dungeon master in yeah. Theros. Like that's the interpretation. All of these are tools with.
2: you get to play with and and mess with and just have fun with.
0: Exactly, um, so what yeah, the final question here what's the significance of the horns because i don 't think I know of a creature that would have six horns is it just that it looks cool or does that have more uh, significance
2: um, I, I I don't know if it has any significance to her role or anything like that um, I, it just in in kind of looking at the way uh, magic would do their creative this is me speculating because I was not Clothis was created for uh, during the latest uh, Set it, uh, set of Theros, so I was not on the Magic team anymore. Um, but her the colors she occupies in the in the Magic colors, um, which are you know white, blue, uh, black, red, green. She's a red green God, so she she has those two oh. colors on her card. So her visuals still have to read as red green, and red green often, oftentimes deals with you know beasts and monsters and things like that. And so uh, so her visuals still have to cue as a red green. Uh, entity,
0: does she have any? And this is just another theory, but does she have any connection to the satyrs
2: Not, not, not explicitly. Horns? Not, in okay. any, not, like, not like the way Xenagos was a satyr who ascended to godhood.
0: Okay, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, as as a dungeon master, I'm looking at that and being like, maybe she was the progenitor of that. You know, uh, those are all know.
2: things you get to play with, which I think is awesome. Like, there is so much in here that talks about the gods and their motivations and things like that, but. uh there's a lot of space to just to say it, to write your own myths. You know, there's, there, there is absolutely that thing.
0: I like that. Uh, and it's one of the most exciting parts about uh, Mythic Odysseys of Theros and how it feels different from uh, other Dungeons & Dragons out there. And I hope people uh, are jumping into campaigns or using uh, the parts of this book for their uh, homebrew campaigns uh, right now. And if you are interested in any of this... Go to your local game store and try to get the alternate copy because it, it looks
2: awesome. I'm gonna hold that up again because
0: it's amazing. Yes, it is. It's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, that I want to go there. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's it's amazing.
0: So good. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, Ari, uh, for well, talking my through Clothis and uh, you know her role within the pantheon uh, of Theros. Uh, How can people perhaps get in touch with you if they have follow-up questions or if they just want to know more about uh, the work you're doing?
2: Uh, I am on Twitter, though uh, I am not the most active person, so be patient with me. Uh, But I am at Ari Levitch.
0: Excellent. Great. Well, thanks, Ari, and we'll be back with some more fun segments next week.
2: Great. Bye, all.
0: I know so much about lore in Theros. I am almost like a deity myself now. You may call me oh correct my God, God. God. You're
1: leveling. We love talking to Ari. He is full of information. A
0: resource beyond recourse. I don't
1: Do you think Ari ever just like drops some of these lore nuggets, just like when he's hanging out with his non D and D players? Oh friends. yeah. It's like, hey, did you know?
0: Yeah, like when he's at a I mean, baseball game do? or something. You got like all that. The lore in your head. He's like, Oh yeah, by the way, these uh these deities and Theros uh have something to do with snakes.
1: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's lore you should know. He's doing you a favor by telling. Exactly,
0: you. right? You know, same thing uh uh with everybody who works on Under the Dragons. I think they like to drop little nuggets of D and D everywhere they go, like I do.
1: I like to talk about my games.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, I was in the Trader Joe's that's in your neighborhood recently and I was wearing a Critical Role mask, uh, a face mask, (laughs) and someone mentioned it and they're like, oh, I never, that's so great. Whenever I'm not here, I always have something that has Critical Role or Dungeons and Dragons on it and it's so great that you saw it. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Shout out to you. Uh, And then I was also shopping like a little bit later and there was two workers who were talking about something kind of intently uh, and the girl was like, well, what kind of decks do you like? And then the guys were like, well, I usually like to play with blue, black, cancel decks. Uh And so no they were discussing their magic decks that they were making while stocking the shelves at Trader Joe's. And
1: Oh, I freaking love that. It was
0: the same trip, and it was like this... I, I just feel that uh, so much of what we do is just infecting all of the Geekosphere, including Trader Joe's workers.
1: And I love that, like... Out in the wild, like there's just two people who are just having a nice conversation about it and they're bonding together. And it's, you know, it helps you uh, make those connections. So
0: great. Um, I I can't wait to make a connection with Abria Iyengar on Dragon Talk. Me
1: too. Let's
0: do it, shall we? Yes. Connect. (laughs) Everybody, let us welcome Abria Iyengar to Dragon
1: Talk.
2: Yay!
0: Long time listener,
3: first time caller Oh my god <laughs>
0: We're so glad you called in uh, You have done <laughs> so many amazing things In the D&D world uh, Over the years uh, Being a dungeon master To uh, uh, a GM On other things To uh, you know, more recently You're in a Dimension 20 side quest oh. With Brendan Lee Mulligan <gasps> And so many amazing people It's
3: so cool, I'm so excited uh, It's How does that happen? I, I don't know. You, you put a little seed under your pillow and you summon a Brennan. And then he whispers into your ear, side quest. <gasps> and then it just happens. It's, and then you just go. Yes, yeah, it's just a really magical process. It's like, like an
0: Umbrella it. Academy thing. Like, I heard a rumor that there yeah, was a side quest go. coming and you needed a cast member.
3: If I had that power, I would have used it exactly in this way to be on a Dimension 20 game. Because, oh, man. So good and so fun.
0: Very excited I about that. I
1: feel like th- this cast, I couldn't have dreamed it. Oh my God. Together. And this is like my dreamiest of dreamy casts.
3: Right? Like, in addition to just everyone being like heavy hitters from like the DD community, it was also just, I there were so many people of color, like four out of the six of us are POCs. And yeah, I think I spent the first hour when we were doing the character gen session, just looking around, just open mouth, like, oh my God. Oh my
1: God.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have to talk too. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes, and...
3: Ooh, uh-huh. I learned that in my improv class. <laughs> we all took that one time.
1: <laughs>
0: awesome. Improv
3: 101. Yeah.
0: yeah, We were. I was excited to see that because was. it was a surprise to me, but as I was looking through the cast, I was like, oh my gosh, I think every single one of these people has been on Dragon Talk before. And then it was only you, Abrea, and I have not been, and now we are doing
3: it. I am hard to get. That's true. That's definitely. definitely, no <laughs> yeah. literally no one has ever said that to me. My current roster is like 4.6 billion games. So gettable. <laughs> so gettable. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> so
1: gettable. <laughs> well, not for long. Not after this show Ooh, launches. Ooh, thank you. Everybody's yeah. going to want to <laughs> talk to you. Tell us about, so we're just like alluding to this amazing cast, but tell yeah. us about the, the cast. Who's in this with you?
3: So this cast is Matt Mercer, Marisha Ray, Christina Ariel, B. Dave Walters, Carlos Luna, and myself, all DM'd by Brandon Lee Mulligan. And <sighs> I have never been at a table that has like surprised and delighted and absolutely floored me more like because so many of us are dungeon masters too like the level of like detailed explanation and these really fun really big character choices like it was wild that by the end of just the the character generation session we had these like six distinct Amazing characters that all felt like vital, and the like the ability to form connective tissue with the rest of the table, like instantaneously, because everyone just like showed up with their a game was amazing. It's just it was one of the it's one of the coolest things I've ever done, and I'm just so happy I got to be a part of it, and I'm so excited for people to watch those characters. Hopefully, find in love with all of our characters.
0: I know, and yeah. there's already like fan already art am. like coming out out oh, there know, already. So much fan- <laughs> it's great.
3: And I love that, like, so many of us picked, like, non-human characters. So the fan art is incredibly cool looking. I was like, uh, when, I, when we first started, I was like, oh, it's pirates? I'm going to be a mermaid. But, like, a wrong one. So I'm so happy that, like, people are getting, like, really into it, like interesting merfolk designs and i based it super heavily if i could just jump into that a little bit i loved the uh the like magic the gathering crossover uh like uh extra content that came out that had like merfolk mm-hmm. stats in it so i basically like ran to brennan like please uh, let me have this huh. i want to go to here and he was like super gracious and like helped me incorporate it into character for this and like yeah, yeah, it's just been so fun and watching everyone just sort of like, not out of nowhere, but like out of these really intentional things, like as like the way our generation session went was Brendan literally just like spent time describing Leviathan to us. And you could see like in the Zoom call, like people's sort of eyes light up as you could find the thing that they liked. It was watching a group of excellent improvers find the game for themselves. And like everyone just latched on to a different thing and you could see the wheels turning and like with just little bits of like information, like, oh, what if my character is this to you? Like we were able to come up with this like amazing group of people that like aren't a crew necessarily to begin with, but have all of the like the start of becoming like a great adventuring group. And it was just Ugh. amazing. Did you guys
1: record that session by chance?
3: Um. Oh, oh I don't think session. we
1: did. I
3: don't think yeah. we did.
1: Oh, I think that would be so oh. interesting just to, to hear. And I'd be curious to hear, and I don't know if this would spoil too much, but what what things stood out to you when Brennan was describing the setting and all?
3: Oh, I, so, oh yeah, definitely. So there's like a whole heap, produced, like, this whole amazing map of Leviathan, and because it's this, like, a bunch of ships and shipwreck, shipwrecks, like, lashed together, uh, There is stuff that was above decks and things that were below decks, and the moment they got to, like, uh, the moment you got to the idea that they're, like, this slummy part of Leviathan was literally below the waterline, and was like, oh, like, how do you deal with the idea that, like, there are pirates, And people attached to the city that like cannot interact normally with like the surface world. So I definitely like immediately alighted on the area called Jetsam that is like this underwater, like flooded zone that like people would have to come to me. It's a very like Ursula the Sea Witch kind of vibe. And I was like, yes, please. You
0: got some Descendants (laughs) 2 things going on there.
3: Yeah. If I could put that much color in my braids and not look like a nightmare, <laughs> I definitely would.
0: We were just talking about my kids have been devouring all those Descendants movies like crazy. So uh, I've got that it's, song stuck in my head. Was it the Say My Name uh, one over and over again?
3: It's so good. It's so oh, good. my gosh. I, I good, feel Good like is I'm the word. you
0: good. It, it gets in your head, I will say. that.
3: I like, I unapologetically love like all Disney original movies just because they're like they're so well-honed. They're just that, like, perfect, like, this is going to hit and explode inside, like, a preteen's brain. And so I just appreciate that so <laughs> that much. That is true. And, like, yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool
0: bringing that energy to a d and game as well. Yeah. So yeah. tell us more about, about your character. What, what, I mean, I think Shelley really liked the her name.
3: name. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. So her name is Myrtle, and I don't know if we're allowed to yes. do, like, minor cusses yep. here. No, so can. her full name is Myrtle the Bitch. And uh, a little bit of a- We're related. Yeah. She's an aquarium. I got so excited excited about like, her name is Myrtle the Bitch. And then I watched Brennan like process, like, do I have to say that word? Like, is it weird to call you that? I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I've given a very nice human a problem of a name. But I don't care. So,
1: she, <laughs> so she's like the, all good players.
3: Exactly, right? So she's the Tempest cleric of Umberly. And I've always loved Umberly because, like, one of her designations is the sea bitch. And I think that that's amazing. <laughs> See, I love it so much. Me and as to someone who, like, listens and, like, internalizes songs like WAP, where it's, it reclaims power in, like, this sort of, like, unabashed way, mm-hmm. I appreciate, like, that kind of energy, and I wanted to bring it to my character. So she's a uh, she's a cleric that goes out with pirate ships and then occasionally sinks them because her god asks her to. So she doesn't get asked out very often. <laughs> Come of on, my boat, but don't
0: sink it, please.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah.
3: Oopsie. Uh, sorry, wild. not sorry. So <laughs> and she just like swims back to Leviathan because she's unworried about, like, ship culture, like, I mean, I guess you could be on the boat, that's strange, Uh, but I think the other thing, (laughs) I think the other thing I really liked about the character was, uh, like, Merfolk in general, like, have the ability to, like, they have legs, but I very specifically wanted her to not, and not in a way of, like, leaning too hard into the idea of, like, disability and different mobility options in games, but I wanted to, sort of introduced the idea that you don't have to be, like, a bog-standard humanoid to, like, function in an adventure. So in a world where magic is real and literally anything is possible, like, you don't need legs to get around. <laughs> and uh, it makes me really happy that things like the combat wheelchair that have been, like, introduced and everyone's talking about on Twitter.
2: Yeah. Like,
3: just this idea of, like, being cognizant of all that kind of stuff. So my, my character, Myrtle, actually has, like, a little water like, like sphere that she travels in. I describe it, I think, most often as, like, a little watery rascal that she just kind of putts around on oh God, whenever she's above the sea line. But I like this idea that, like, if you just spend a couple minutes thinking about it, like, you can be more uh, more encompassing of different, like, character types and body types and, like, neurodiverse types and have that in your game in a way that doesn't, feel like it doesn't have to feel like work you can just do it just be cognizant going into it so that was my little my little choice that i was really proud of that's one of the great has the tail the whole time
0: (laughs) and that's one of the great things that dungeons and dragons can do for people beyond all the fun storytelling and and amazing things that you can do but you can actually you know empathize with situations that you don't have any direct experience with and do it in a way with other people so they're experiencing it as well you know, I had, I had a, you know, very briefly, but I had a really great experience playing as a blind character, a blind cleric nice. uh, in Lauren Urban's game when we did uh, Clerical Error. And I reached out to blind D&D players to be like, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, you know, portraying this in a way that makes sense, that doesn't feel, you know, like I'm crossing any lines or doing anything like that. And that was just this, I was going to use the term, it was an eye-opening experience. Uh, <laughs> but it, it really was because it felt like, oh, I, I, here's this game that we love to do just because it's fun and it feels cool to us, but it can do all these things that are healthy for the soul and for society as a whole.
3: Agreed. And this is like my favorite thing. Like when I really, like when I started off GMing uh, other than doing adventurous league games, just to kind of learn like fifth edition better. My first real game was GMing for uh, a kid I tutored and his friends. So it was a, like a gaggle of 14-year-old boys, like up to nine of them at, at any oh. given session. It was buck wild. I felt more like a coach than a GM. I'm like, all right, you can do it. Bring this. it in. We're gonna do yeah. this. <laughs> but like in the in the way that we always talk about like storytelling and how novels and reading stories from perspectives that aren't our own build empathy. DD and TTRPGs are that, but like. Supercharged because you are literally putting yourself in other experiences, and the more you open yourself up to like thinking and feeling beyond like what you already know, D and D becomes more than just a game. It kind of, it becomes kind of like restorative and curative, and it's a it's a vector for growth, not just for like entertainment. Though it is that too. And, I mean, like I'm the I'm going to play D&D forever.
1: <laughs> Good. I want to hear that. But it's true because like the, all of the old adages about, you know, like empathy is like, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes or how would you feel if that happened to you is like essentially like what you do yeah. in D&D. Like That's you are putting yourselves in someone else's shoes. You are feeling it and living it. Absolutely. And the more we make choices, yeah. I mean,
0: the bold choice of playing uh, Myrtle the bitch uh, <laughs> is very much like you know, interesting because you know, and when you start playing, you play things that are like, oh, I'm just going to play a fighter who's basically a you know, so good for me, you know. And then, yeah. but then on your fifth and fourth and you know, 900th character, you're like, I'm going to play something that's completely not like yes. me in any way. Uh, you know, maybe maybe there are parts of Myrtle in you, but like,
3: oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fish, <laughs> <laughs> pretty well established. Yeah, i think thinking I, all I, those pirate ships. <laughs> yeah. I sink ships constantly. <laughs> uh,
0: but I love that because you know it's it's a growth vector in uh, you know people's hobbying that I think is just gets more valuable over time. So I love it.
3: Agreed. Yes. And I definitely think that like yeah, you play, you make those choices outside of your experiences. You're kind of building your character. But I have always believed that even if you think you're playing a character that's like the opposite of you the moment you live in that character for for a little while and you come up with that like single seed of justification, like when you understand your character's philosophy, that usually comes from exploring something that you either have thought about or you believe or like you think might be interesting about yourself and you kind of just like tease it out and explode it out and really like get into the nitty gritty on it. So I think even if you're playing a character That's super the opposite of you. You're exploring some aspect of your personality that, like, you find interesting in the moment of character creation. And that's actually why I really like going back and thinking about characters and kind of watching the trajectory of, like, characters you build. And you're like, what did I care about six months ago?
1: (laughs) Huh. Interesting.
3: I was really, like, focused on, like, acceptability politics. So I played characters that, like, refused to, like, fit into... The society's norms that, like wherever they came from. So, like, what an interesting thing to like clock, sort of retrospectively. And I just yeah, yeah. It's like looking at your an old human journal. development mapped to your character development, yeah. or even like
1: seeing like things that you consistently gravitate towards in characters, and then looking back and being like, I see why now. Right? I didn't see it then, but now you know, years later, even I get it. I know what I was. You were trying to explore something in a safe space maybe you didn't recognize it at the time but it does become clear it's true your d d characters do say a lot about you
3: yeah and I think Obviously. it's awesome for that and like yeah it's so nice being at a table when you like realize that like you can kind of watch someone else in your party like thinking about themselves in that way and you're like oh thank you for considering me a safe enough like person and part of the safe space for you to explore that actually yeah. a friend that like came out as trans at the table after like dealing a bunch with like, why do I keep fixating on this idea? Like, what is this, what am I trying to show to myself? And I think that's just a really, like, it's a really cool and really fun and really important thing to be a part of like that sort of safe space to think interestingly about yourself in this like kind of like lateral way. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's a theme that we've had in a couple of our, our guests in the past. Like when, uh, uh Rakam was talking about how he was in a uh, you know, a group that was a little bit more male oriented. and he's like, "I don't know if that's for me, you know, in that situation, as well as being able to play characters of different gender and you yeah. know uh, see w- why that is attractive to uh, the player. And then, all right, maybe on the after the fourth or fifth character that like that, you're like, maybe there's a reason as to why that is. <laughs>
3: Right. Yeah, Yeah. and they
0: may not even know it when they're building those characters. That's what's that's what's really fascinating about it.
3: Yeah, it's not a conscious choice.
0: It's a it's a way to unlock the subconscious.
3: Yeah. Mm. Oh, now I want to go into the
0: subconscious more in uh in our D and D games.
3: Right. That's your secret, folks. D and D makes you unlock your brain. Biohack. Let's go. Is that the right (laughs) word? I don't know if that's the word. I don't know, but I like it. I'll Google it later. Biohack of Dungeons and Dragons.
1: (laughs) Nice. Become a better person. So,
0: what kind of characters yes. do you generally? I mean, obviously, with the with where you are now, with the the most recent one, but like, where? How has your journey been? You know, did you start in a specific kind let's, of? Let's you, dig yeah, in. Ooh, you, yes. and then did let's, you be gone to different ones? Like, what have you learned?
3: Um. So, I think I definitely default. Like, if we're going D anD D specifically, like my type is almost always a like. I love charisma casters. I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure everyone you talk to is just like, I have a lot of, like, very strong bard energy. I love warlocks, though. Mm. I love the, like, narrative hook because I spend so much time GMing that, like, I appreciate characters that, like, give that gift immediately to the the dungeon master. Like, hi, I have a complicated relationship with the source of my power. Here you go. Uh,
0: (laughs) Make the stories happen.
3: Exactly. And I love, like, the sort of subversion of, like, Warlocks, usually as like people who have sold their soul to a higher power, uh, like to a like higher entity in order to achieve power, like that's like the sort of like tiny brain version. Uh, I love warlocks that like have fallen in love with mystical creatures or just like read a book too many times. And then like after a while, like it's the uh, like you listen to the record backwards and you hear something you shouldn't kind of affect. So. Yeah, like, what are the other ways that individuals can, like, willingly or not, like, consensually or not, like, interact and, like, deal with, like, large powers beyond their control? Because I think that's, like, one of the cool things about D&D is, like, everything is, like, real and possible here. So, like, yes, you can pray to a deity and become their cleric or become their paladin, but, like, what about the people who just sort of, like, weirdly trip and fall in and be like... Well, I guess I can eldritch blast now. I don't know what this means or what will be asked of me. Right, seems fine. I'm I'm sure, just gonna it's
1: keep, fine. I'm going to keep using this power until someone asks for it back.
3: Exactly. I love the warlocks that are like <laughs> eldritch blast. Do I need to? Okay, I guess it's fine. Sure. <laughs> Didn't ask for anything today, but we'll see about tomorrow. Right. No so. consequences
0: right now.
3: Exactly. And I think that's super fun. So I tend to play characters uh, that have to like grapple with their, their relationship with the source of their power. And then how that sort of like anxiety turns into interpersonal relationships. Uh, Yeah. That's, that's usually what I do. (laughs) I'm going to
0: mention something that you mentioned before we started recording, which was uh, going from project to project and having a little bit of Uh, ADHD tendencies yes what you're describing sounds very much like that as the warlock character like oh I I got this power and I will got to use it while I can or it's gonna go away
3: yeah so I do have ADHD so uh, I think along with that I have that weird sense of like the way my brain works is this weird boon and bait like it's a it's a sine wave of like I it's hard for me to motivate and like I procrastinate on things that like feel like they are hard to start like hard to start but like Mm -hmm. then I also hyper fixate on things I care about so it's that idea of like the anxiety of like make hay while the sun shines because I don't necessarily always know how like my brain's gonna make me feel about like the next thing that comes and like being willing to say yes to a bunch of things and then sort of like shrugging it off is like the consequences of that are for tomorrow Bria but you (laughs) just do stuff I'm sure it'll be fine. And like, yeah, I, I definitely think all of that, like all of that self-reflection and like the, the growing knowledge of how I work, especially because like now that I'm starting to do more like writing projects and stuff too, like being cognizant of my workflow and how I get the best work out of myself is, it feels like a world fact a lot of the time. It like, really does. Oh.
1: <laughs> that was very insightful, Greg. Yeah, thanks, was... nice, Greg. Good job. Well, I mean,
0: perhaps those are... uh Demons, I'm battling myself.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, could, I saw the look in your. Yeah, head. I was like, oh, oh
0: had a walk yeah. walk or something or like clicked, and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling that.
1: Yeah, I had a. I you maybe remind me of, of a this character that I had for a long time, and I really wanted to have a um a familiar that was a show bear, or um an ex show bear that I rescued. That was part of my backstory. Oh, I remember. And that the the dungeon master was like, no. I'm not playing with a show bear. Like, I really want, he's, he's my familiar. He's here. So he, I was a tiefling and he was like, okay, he's here, but you, this is the deal. Like you, you made a pact to have, to rescue him and have him stay with you. Um, And something's going to happen at some point in the game where I'm going to ask you to turn against the party. And... You're not going to know when, and you're not going to know how. But do you? Are you? Will you accept this deal? Is that? Is he that important to you? And I said yes. Yes, he is that important. <laughs> uh, and like we never told the rest of the party that that I had made this deal. Um, but I will say that the entire campaign that we played, I, I was so always on edge. I was always unnerved because I'm like I don't. I don't know when this is gonna happen. Like I really don't. And then and then it didn't happen for a long time. And I'm like, did he forget? Maybe he just forgot and I'm in the clear. And I realized like this was coming out in in how I played my character. Like she always was a little like, twitchy, like, what's go- what's going on? Like who's here? Who's behind? Who's saying that? Am I hearing this? Does everyone else hear this? It's is today the day? Like if we go to this town, is, is like is someone gonna find me? Every time like we met an NPC, I was like, is this is this it? Is this when you're gonna Come calling <laughs> because it never happened. Oh, and it no. never happened. So that's I still don't amazing. Know, like, yeah, like with the game, just you know, eventually ended without this thing coming to 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 pass. But thank God. Um, but it really did inform like how I played that character. And, and in real life, I'm such a rules person. Like I probably really wouldn't have done that in real. Maybe I would. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But like it, it was a struggle for like the real me and the character me. Nice, but that's. Ugh. God, I don't, I did now I feel creepy. That was the right reward. No, now though. I feel like it still might happen. Yeah. I know. It <laughs> might. Can it still happen if the game ended five years ago? I, like, uh, you know what? I'm going to check the rule. Yeah. What's the statute of
0: yeah, the limitations uh, Let me ask, falling leaf. <laughs> falling leaf, is there that okay? Go. Yeah, I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, you know, next time I dungeon master for you, I think I'm going to have a show bear show up. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes. Do it. One of Please. my favorite—I've—I uh, haven't played a druid very often, but like my favorite druid I ever played in a game that, of course, like most games, fall apart after a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played a druid that was a show bear. No just like Are you felt, serious? Yeah, I knew she just, I liked you. She enjoyed being bear way more than being a person. So, like, she just traveled around with her friends that were all part of this circus. And, I love like, that. her trainer, like, her best friend was her trainer. And she was like, Yeah, no, I do the thing. And she would, like, pretend, like, No, I don't want to. I'm a bear. And her friend was a ranger. So she could understand all the, like, dumb bear things she was saying. <laughs> oh, my God. Or she would, like, pretend dumb. to growl and be like, No, I don't want to jump on the box. I'm not gonna. Okay. <laughs> The dumbest interactions with my friends. I'm not this gonna cable. ride my unicycle <laughs> yeah. today. I don't know how I'm a bear from the woods. I, like I, it was the weirdest energy, and I loved of, it so much. I Love that.
1: See, like you're really like reminding me of like you really can do anything in D and D. You can be do. a party of bears.
3: Show bears. Just be a bunch of bears. Uh, I ran a very silly one shot for friends. We were literally in the pool. And you had to roll at the bottom of the pool. You had to like go down to the bottom of the pool where the dice all like sank and roll down there and then just make it up, uh, make up your roll when you came back up because everyone would forget. But we played a version of like Dude Wears My Car, the movie, but it was an adventure. So there was like no magic and just people just wandering around making like goofy checks because they had all done like some sort of magical mushroom from the under underdark and had forgotten the day before, and had to go find like their wagon, and that was just like the adventure. You can play anything in D anD D, and like that's what makes me so happy about it. It's all about like if the table's bought in, you can do whatever, and that's the coolest thing in the world to me.
1: Yeah, and it all
0: that's... becomes a shared experience. Yeah, and it can come exactly. from, from I mean, my my daughter dungeon mastered for me. She was five at the time. Uh, yes, and it was just this weird stream of consciousness kid thing. It was very similar <laughs> to what you're describing of like the the do's word my car kind of thing, and it was amazing. And I wish like more, uh, you know, kids at that age felt empowered to just c- create and write weird ass stories and make your parents, you know, sure I'll do whatever you say. Uh, you know, it's the one time they mm-hmm. have control over that stuff. Uh, yeah, and wanna, I want to tap into that even more.
3: Right. Uh, I uh, I run a like pirates game. I love pirates. I don't know if that's hasn't come through, but uh, I run a pirates game over on Saving Throw Show on Tuesday nights. And like I used to like when the game first started, my nephew when he was younger would have that like stream of consciousness. Like he just had ideas, and if you giggled at all, he would just like keep spinning like, himself up. So there would be like once or twice a week, I would like call my sister in law and be like. Put him on the phone. I need to, I need to world build. So he would like build these ridiculous lands that like just, they started normal and then they just got weirder and weirder. The lap, the harder I laughed. So there was like planets where everything was Kiwi, but he didn't, he like forgot what the word green was. So listening to a four-year-old try to like talk around the concept of green, <laughs> the, like the world's weirdest thing. Like my players were like, I it's amazing. I think we're in hell. Like, what is happening? I was like, this is what happens when you forget a very fundamental word. You think you're in the nine hells, like, let's go. So it was it
1: was just an innocent mistake. Yeah, mm.
0: yeah I <laughs> forgot what green meant.
3: Yeah. I love that. I kind of
1: this I like this idea of letting like a child. Create the world. <laughs> and yeah. then you have to use it. Like you have to just use all the hooks they give you. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. It's so all good. All the
1: NPCs. I feel my son lately has been creating a lot of characters. Not, not D D care. Like he'll just like Yeah. All of a sudden he's like, hey. I'm, my name's Jerome Powers and he's like some dude or like he's got Ricky Joe, he's got yes. Turd the Turtle, he's oh. Captain Sparkles, like,
3: yeah. Hold on, say these again slower.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, I'm taking notes. Turd <laughs> the Turtle? Joe,
1: yes.
3: Turd the turtle. the turtle. Does he smell bad?
1: No. And he just, oh. I like, do you mean Turt the Turtle? He's like, no, my name's Turd, Turt the Turtle. <laughs> yeah,
3: it makes and perfect Turd sense. And Turd the Turtle,
1: <laughs> I was actually just writing about Turd the Turtle. It's funny. Um, <laughs> he will fall down and he's on his back and his legs are up and hands arms are up in the air. and just happens whenever, several times a day. And he's like, yep. help me, help me. Somebody get me back in the water. I need to get back in the water. And then I just ignore him. But I'll walk by, whenever I walk by him, he screams, Hey, lady, don't you want to help a poor turtle?
3: What is the matter with you? Like, what are you talking about?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like, I'm like, he definitely is a dungeon master. Like, I feel like he wants <laughs> to create. So then, like, like, God, I just can't stand the noise anymore. So then I'll, find, I'll go back to Turd the Turtle, and then I have to flip him yeah, back yeah. upright. Yeah. And then go. he wanders around the house upright like a turtle for about five more minutes, and then yeah. and then he goes back to Fortnite. So
3: there you it's go. Just, it's the it's a cycle. I love that. Like in my brain now, you're living this like tiny Westworld life of just like <laughs> kind of IRL yeah. plot hooks, and you're just like not to that, no to that. <laughs> I'll come back. So, like, <laughs> just walking through this world. My dog's knocking on my door. Yep. Yeah, kid is. <laughs> Flat Is he on the screen. What are we doing?
1: <laughs> what are we doing? There's
0: been a lot of, uh, like, it feels like a, it's very similar to like walking through a, uh, a computer RPG or something like that because every single time I leave an area where my kids are, they always say, I love you, daddy. Like, like, like uh, have fun. Like, you know, or, oh. you know, like they need to acknowledge that I'm leaving their space. <laughs> and I'm it always like nervous? Is, I feel like it's a, yeah it makes me a little bit nervous
3: <laughs> I feel, and I also can feel it feels
0: like a voiceover bark like I'm just getting like the same thing whenever I'm entering or exiting a, yeah. a room and I'm like you gotta is get your
3: kids more dialogue they, they ran out <laughs> all the way through
0: <laughs> come on like you, got some, you need some more material kids come on you
3: can do this right nope. I love that one nice. day you're just gonna walk through and be like cutscene the door slams behind you yeah. like, <laughs> encounter begins what do you do <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we
1: usually start with this question, but we were so excited about oh, the Generation Twenty stuff. No, I this is fine, but I I am curious. Like, how how did you start playing D anD
3: D? Ooh, uh, I love this story because I it feels like I do a very good job of throwing my now husband under the bus. So I enjoy telling it. I'm all for that. I mean,
0: that's like ninety percent of a relationship. <laughs>
3: that's Right.
1: That's what marriage is.
3: This, is. this is my fun, which is uh like our like it's it was a mutual group of game friends, but definitely more his friends. And we were just dating at the time. And they were like, What is this? The D is new again. So this is like pretty soon after like fifth edition dropped. And they were like, I guess we should give it a try. And I think I was just in the room one day when they were talking about it and they kind of gave me the look like, You can come too if you want. And I was like, oh, okay, girlfriend <laughs> this is fine. I don't play video games or anything, so I don't really know what this is or how to interact with it. And they're like, you can just be the cleric. So I ah! completely got, like, healer mode, like, full girlfriend mode just out of the gate. And, uh, like, we started playing and it was uh, the, like, uh, Rise of, well, Horde of the Dragon Queen. So, Tyranny of Dragons. That was We played both the both the books. Yep. And uh, it took me two sessions after being a knowledge cleric to go, wait, no. This is... Oh no! I like this way more than everyone at the table, and I oh interesting. Oh god! Like they all are super like super into it too. We ended up playing that campaign for like two and a half years, but I realized pretty immediately because I have a background in like stand up comedy and improv, and I just miss performing. And I was like, oh, this is that like performing itch, and like coming up with something in a moment and it's scratching this itch that I feel like the rest of the table doesn't even have. And I immediately took off and like joined up with a bunch of Adventurers League stuff at like my friendly local gaming store, which turned into me going like, they're always out of DMs. Sure, I could, I'm sure I could figure it out. I have a book. I can, I can do this. Oh my God. And yeah, I threw myself into it so hard that like by the end of the first month, like our group had played like four sessions but Bria had played like 40 sessions of D&D Whoa. like i was there for like i remember like close like opening and closing out uh the gaming store close to me it's game time like i was there when it opened and we were just chaining like adventurers league things all day on a saturday till it ended wow so i i loved it immediately and like I think it's kind of weird because I've never like growing up I was never actually in the high fantasy like not a Lord of the Rings person. So uh I I see why I never ran into it when I was younger, but it's that it's that potential to like tell these amazing stories and really the fact that like the amount of scaffolding that that 5th edition D&D has specifically is just enough to feel comfortable that like There's a bit of like constraint breeds creativity and not the like open void of like, well, you can just make up a story in your head and just say stuff out loud. Like there's just enough there that you feel like you can tell basically any kind of story. So I got into it very hard. And then multi-classed into Warlock, thus beginning my like, I'm a warlock, I think. And yeah, uh, played a bunch there. Uh, Was a tutor at the time. And I don't know how... My first clients like hurt. I probably just told them at some point. Oh no, I had dice in my pocket and I needed yeah. it to do like quick math things. So I just put it out there, and like the parent came in and was like, "D and D, I played that back in oh, no 1918 way. with a hoopin' stick." Like, I was like oh, okay. <laughs> great, and uh, picked up from there and started. Uh, DMing a lot of the kids that I tutored and that would be like their reward for good grades. We would like run that's a, such a good idea oh, that's with their awesome. friends. And it was really, and yeah, so I got into it that way. And then eventually like transitioned into streaming and now I can play as many games as I want. And it's great. Like I just have my, I'm in my garage and like my husband can't hear me, like being out here doing wacky voices and making big silly arm motions and like I'm living my best life. It's pretty great.
1: <laughs> so what happened to the, the group that started you on D&D? Are they, do they still play? Or are they like, well, look at you now. Like, this is kind of all you
3: do. <laughs> uh, yes to both. So we occasionally, like, circle back up. And it's really fun now, like, now, years later, where I'm like, can, can, I, can I DM for you? Oh, also, the other fun part was uh, my now husband, like, he took over DMing that group mm. when the first, like, DM left. So there was also this, like, weird, like, I took a special feat called... I'm dating the DM. Can I please Ah. have this magic item? (laughs) And the answer Ah. is honestly no most of the time. Yeah. that's actually what taught me to be a rules lawyer because he was immediately like, he had that problem of like, I don't want to show preferential treatment to my partner. So I'm going to say no right away. So I had to like learn the rules cold to be like, you can't say no to me on this. Detect (laughs) magic means you have to tell me the school. You can't say universal. That's nothing. Uh, Give me the details.
0: That's not a a, (laughs) rule. universal yeah, I magic. drag
3: him out here yeah it was his like he was very much like a, i like to build puzzles and like make things and i just wanted to walk in with a magic spell and blow it all up mm. like, like i don't feel like solving this puzzle dispel magic just blow it up <laughs> <laughs> so uh learning the rules and like kind of like that was the workaround for it so now it's really fun that like occasionally like i'll scoop them all up and uh, i have them play test like modules and stuff that I build for like stream games all the time on them. So it's very fun having the full circle, like, all right, we played like a campaign thing before. And now that like they mostly play homebrew stuff, like it's really fun because I can cherry pick from all of the great like campaign content. I'm like, they don't, they think I made this up. This is just like half of Storm King Sunder and no one's going to tell them. (laughs) So we're good. So like, I like hide all my books in the back and I'm like, "I, I made it up. This is all me. Ignore the fact that Darlaxel is a character that you get is easily Googleable. I made that; it's in my brain.
0: <laughs> nice. Of I'm course, sure you, you just you told them all right now. If they listen, I
3: listening. know it's fine. <laughs> you got to tell Whoa. them at some point. Yeah,
0: peek behind the curtain a little bit.
3: <laughs> exactly. Hey guys, I've been lying to you for years.
0: It's called dungeon mastering. Yes.
3: There you go. Right.
0: It's all you lies. Got to roll that
3: high insight check, baby. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but speaking of lying to them about running. <laughs> pre-published adventures, but you are now writing some original content, correct?
3: Yeah. So uh, it's that kind of fun thing of like, so the three things that I do right now, like stream-wise that I think are like cool and distinct and interesting are like, I run a lot of homebrew that I make and I'm playing like Lost Mind of uh on, on Twitch's, uh, D&D's Twitch channel right now. So like playing in a module that's been, like prepackaged and pre-built and playing a thing that's intent. Like it's so specifically and intentionally like a starter module to like teach people how to play D and D, which is really fun when you are a seasoned player going in. Like I know how all of these work, but like I love looking at like the building blocks of like how, how does a module teach people D and D? Like how do you yeah. teach via the tutorial? And then, like playing in a different game on Saturday mornings, where we're playing, like essentially in the like into the Spider Verse world. So, like playing in other people's IP, but like playing in this system in other IP. That's cool. So, yeah, uh, I I build a lot of like world stuff for my Pirates of Salt Bay game, and I think I've just kind of reached that point where I'm like, if I just organize this even a little bit, I can, like, share it with the people that watch, because, like, I get asked for stat blocks on, a on, like, a fairly regular basis, because I, like, kind of, like, I like, ba- like bashing monsters together, and, like, changing their, <laughs> altering their stats, because my characters are very, or my players are very smart, and they are good at just, blowing my bad guys out of the water. and like, I have altered the stats. Pray I don't alter them further. <laughs> they all have like a hundred more hit points because you guys do like awesome monk combinations of just, I did 486 damage. Oh my God. And now I'm going to action surge. I'm like, okay, you break the world. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of like building monsters and uh, adversaries specifically for my table, knowing how they tend to play. Uh, and awesome. yeah, it's just been like a really fun process of like figuring out how to like push that out into the world. And I yeah. uh, published a module called Timbermancer through uh, my dice company and like that's kind of out there. So now that I've gotten like a little taste of like, okay, people can play stuff that I think of in my brain without me being around and it's not a nightmare. Like, cool. How do I keep doing it? So I'm getting a bit very excited, like kind of transitioning into that like part of... The ecosystem of being in the D and D world. Yeah, I feel
1: like it's a natural. It's a natural transition for for some people, right? So, but is it? What is the process like for you? For I mean, you didn't take a class on how to run and write an adventure. Like, how do you know how to do that? Um,
3: well, fun fact, I did take. A little oh, bit didn't? of a class. <laughs> I was just going to say, isn't there like a writer's workshop for RPGs? <laughs> RPG writer's workshop yeah. last year. Uh, but once again, the ADD kicked in. So I did like the first fifth of it. <laughs> and then I was like, I'll come back to it. And I didn't realize that the like content expired. And I like went to go back to it. I was like, oh, it's all gone. <laughs> oh no. I remember well, the first Enough part. to get you
0: started. <laughs> I get most of it. I got the gist.
3: Yeah. yeah. I'll just ballpark it but I actually uh I love reading just like I buy lots of content off the DMs Guild anyway so I did a lot of like just sort of breaking it down and taking notes like I've done some like script writing stuff in my time too so like literally breaking it down the way you would break down a script if you wanted to spec it so you just take modules especially ones that you like and you find all those hooks on and just sort of like try to tease them apart and see like where like how did it catch my interest and like how do i turn that into something for other people to try to do the same thing uh, and just by by virtue of like the difference in translation error like translation error like filtering through me and my priorities the things i care about will feel meaningfully different than someone else's like module work so it's kind of just the sit down and take notes <laughs> approach but yeah i usually start off with, uh, it's the Michael Bay, like, I start off with the set piece, I'm like, what's the big fight that I want to get to, and, okay. like, what does it look like, and it's less about, like, what the monster stat is, but, like, I want that, H- have you ever played the video game uh, Return of the Oberdin? No. So, it's this really cool, like, it's, like, a mystery, like, detective-y puzzle game, but it has these, like, cool set piece moments that are frozen in time that you can physically walk through to like put the mystery together of like, how did everyone die on this one ship? It's very cool. It's black and white. Got a cool soundtrack. Yeah. So I, I always think of like that one, like splash image of like what's the like main picture of the fight look like and then how do you get to there? So like, what does the surroundings look like? How do you end up in this like big cool palace with like shafts of bright moonlight and like extreme shadows there and like, how are my adventures in this room with like two giant wolves made of ice and like, how do you get to that point? And then taking a lot of like the fiction, I try very hard to like take fiction that I like that doesn't necessarily lend itself towards like high fantasy focused, like storytelling and figure out how to like filter it through. So it's a lot of like what in the latest season of Westworld got me like to this point. And like, what are the things, uh, less, like, Game of Thrones is high fantasy, but, like, I really like that, like, court intrigue. So, like, yeah. how do we bring that in? Like, how does Laputa Castle in the Sky, like, what are the things that I wish a Miyazaki movie, if it was, like, aimed for adults, what would that include? So those are things that, like, you kind of harvest it all and turn it into like this one big moment and then work yourself backwards and get there. And I actually think the easiest thing for me is I, I am very blessed to play with really fun, really creative people. And usually in the like first time I try to run through, run them through something, uh, they will give me a lot of ideas on how they got there and why they care about being there. And I'm like, I'm going to steal all of that and put it on here and thank you in the credits. Like, <laughs> yeah, what? That's a better idea than what I, I'm gonna cross this out. It's I, that's also what I was thinking. I'm <laughs> <sort of> like <laughs> I'm a huge fan of collaborative storytelling, so letting yeah. other people come up with like how how that scene is built.
0: Right. Is, Which it sounds like you're doing also in your head too when you're when you're reading all of these different source materials, whether they be uh, adventures or modules on DM's Guild to movies to animation. You're all like. Mashing them up yeah. and putting them out yep. already, and then you give them to you know five or six players and get even more input. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's all what we do in Microcosm when we're running games, and it's
1: perfect. Yeah. And four-year-olds and four-year-olds yeah. do it too. Yeah,
0: yeah. They're Don't inspired by Bunt though.
1: That's
3: Always. The <laughs> turd <laughs> yeah. the turtle yeah. is the hero. My next
1: turd the turtle goes to Camp Kikiwaka on.
0: <laughs> Sounds like you got some uh, some storytelling hooks there, Shelly.
1: Yes, it's for so sure. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll get Quint. Maybe we'll do that for for homeschooling. We'll get him uh, writing an adventure. I like it. Oh my gosh, that's so cool.
0: So you were mentioning too about how you played a bunch of adventurers' league games uh, at the game store, uh, and you know, as part of. Uh, D D live. You were involved in the Black AF kind of side table and all that. Yeah. Uh, uh Talking through what it's like to you know uh, be in the D and D community. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts about what you know what what kind of things you experienced and what you might want to uh, advice you might want to give to people about like how can we uh, make sure that the tables that we're having are as um, you know open and having all these fun creative ideas flowing without any of the negatives.
3: Yeah, um, it was so amazing being on the Black AF panel for D&D Live. And going back to that the year before, uh, just as a little shout out to the Avengers League's, uh stuff, I was one of the, the epic DMs for... Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, which was really cool because I had, uh, like, going into stream DMing, uh, it feels very different. It's a lot more, like, improvisational. It's really, like, rules-like because you're kind of doing the, like, what's the cool thing in the moment because it's so much more audience-facing than table-facing. Mm. Uh, that, like, coming back to, like, my 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 basics and like my, my beginnings by running an adventures league game after not running AL stuff for forever. I was like, Oh, I forgot. I'm just like active sweating. I was the (laughs) sweatiest, most intense mess. Like just standing over my table being like, okay, we can do this. And just like being a, a super big fan of the tables. It was so much fun. And then getting to come back this year and actually like be sort of part of the like, like one of the people speaking at it was really cool. And I just, I love the idea that we're having all of these conversations now about like, not just how to be diverse within our games, but like, how do we do that at our tables? Like, how do we do that as people? And uh, I think the question that like, I still occasionally get asked is like, how can I like create or promote like a safer space so that more people of color feel more comfortable, like coming into games. And I think so much of that just has to do with, man, it's such a, it's such a layered question. I, I think it is understanding that like, a lot of this work has to be like, yes, you wanna like create a safe space, but like I definitely like encourage other people of color in the community to bring their friends in that don't like, that aren't experienced with it, that like have not heard of d that, like, have that storytelling itch, but not... It's about taking off the limiters. Like, for me, the moment I stopped thinking of d d as, like, you're going to tell a Lord of the Rings story and more of, like, you can tell any kind of story framed from your, from your own experience and your own priorities, I think that's the thing. And sort of pushing out the idea that, like, you can tell so many stories here and you can have it be a reflection of, like, your culture and your priorities too. Like that's the thing. And if you're like running at a table or playing at a table with people of color that you're not like super close with yet, modeling a diverse world is probably the biggest thing I can say to do, especially this is my like DM, DM to DM, model a diverse world, like have lots of people with different like backgrounds and ethnicities describe everyone's skin color not just the occasional like brown person that Mm. pops up like paint that word picture in such a way that like the expectations of DD being like very like white western european like anglo-saxon elves sort of drifting through the mists like the way you break that down and become more than that it's not the dismissal of it because like That's all very cool storytelling too. Like that's why D&D is what it is to this point. But like it can become more the moment you are cognizant of it and you push to do more. So describe like your like beautiful Galadriel elf and then like the beautiful elf standing next to her with like dark skin and dark hair and dark eyes and like non Anglo Saxon features and like lean into the idea that like the world isn't just as diverse as the world is out here is more so because now you're dealing with like non-humanoid races. Like if, if this is a world where anything is possible, prove it. And in so many little ways, that's such a signaler to like people of color and people from the LGBTQ, like all of those like minority groups that don't feel seen and don't feel represented. Like the, the concerted, visible effort to be inclusive, to say like, not only are you welcome, but you're already here in the like eight NPCs that match your skin tone or your sexual orientation or your like disabilities. Like it's all here and it's waiting for you. Makes it feel not like you're making an exception for these people coming into the community, but that they were already always part of it. And it's just about joining in.
0: That's great. And I, I love that. And I think a lot of the the language that you were... Saying earlier about you know disabilities and having you know those those characters be represented in your game, you know it's uh, it's it's a, it's a lot of the same kind of vocabulary. Like you just want to be able to present people in all backgrounds, and D and D does that already so well yeah. by having merfolk and elves and dwarves and tieflings and 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 dragonborn, and it's just you know bringing in the full breadth of of humanity uh, that's out there. And, uh, you know, I think Dungeons and Dragons, you know, on the studio side, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, Jeremy Crawford and Chris Perkins have been writing the adventures, but having a lot of those things in mind and now we're going to be doing even more so. And I think, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a powerful piece of advice for you know people in the community just to be able to, you know, continue to open up those weird creative stories that we love telling and then include right. all of this stuff within it. It's just yeah. going to end up having, you know, better stories.
3: Yeah, the bones are all there. Just lean in.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna chew on That's that great bone. <laughs> I don't know that didn't d- d- work. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, I'm
1: not gonna
0: do that. But We're I totally love uh, right you know, where they are. Seeing you, Dungeon Master, at uh, you know D and D Live 2019, uh, The Descent. There's tons of pictures with you, and I love that the Dungeon Masters like just out of necessity maybe stood up from those tables just so they oh, could yeah. have focus and and be able to. You know, project their voices and be heard at their tables. And it ended up at making this wonderful picture uh, that I'll remember forever of just, uh, you know, everybody telling these stories together and then, uh, you know, having decisions made at that epic that would transfer to the entire room. Uh, I, you know, I finally remember Chris Funk uh, from The Decemberists <laughs> making this decision that he thought was really good for his character, but ended up doing, I think, what, like four. D ten damage to everybody it was so in the room. Much
2: damage. Oh,
1: I what think, did he do? What was his decision? I don't. It was. A, I, don't I think it was.
0: Uh, uh, was it Chris Lindsay or was it Bell that gave him the decision? Uh,
3: uh, uh, um, I don't remember who. It was. A, it was
0: one of the devils. Was basically like you can you know yeah have this power. You, you had, he had just died in the, or he just fell unconscious in his game oh, and it was right. like hey you can not be unconscious and you'll be at full life. Uh, But something bad is going to happen. Or you can just take your damage and everything's fine. And he's like, well, sure. I'm going to get my character to be back up on his feet. It'll help my party. But the bad thing was that damage was taken by everybody in the room. So, like, all 100-plus players (laughs) all took that damage because of his one decision.
3: So, my favorite part was it knocked down two players at my table. Oh, my gosh. And then because uh, we didn't have enough or, no, they had enough soul coins to bargain, so there were, like, two little imps, like, NPC people walking around, like, making deals and bargains and stuff the whole time, but my table was so, like, soul coin insecure uh, that they weren't going to pulling their weight. They wouldn't spend the soul coins to buy a healing potion for one person at the table. Oh, no. So the coolest thing I got to do was take this person's character sheet, and they gave me permission to do so. Oh, no. But they, like... Like, people showed up to this with, like, their AL characters that they had played hundreds of hours with, and I got to tear the sheet as their character died permanently. In hell. I was like, it's over. I'm sorry. It's a coin. You can keep this coin. Give it back at the end, but, like, (laughs) "Ah, you know. And I just dropped the coin that was their character on the pile, and the entire table was just like, oh, my God, what do we do? What do we do? Hey, give me another soul coin, but, oh, my God, what do we do? Like, it was amazing.
0: (laughs) So much fun! Spend I love that moral. type of group uh, group play points. where it's beyond one right. table, uh, yeah. and you know we're figuring out ways to do that uh, digitally online uh, yes. very soon. I can't wait! That's gonna be that's gonna be really fun. Oh, what were you gonna say, so Shoei? Cool. I'm sorry, I cut you off.
1: No, I was just like saying the moral of the story. Spend your damn soul coins.
3: Spend your soul coins. <laughs> you have to make it rain. <laughs> make it rain soul coins. You make, you make it rain in hell. And I think that's, that that's the thing. That's fun.
1: There's <laughs> so much energy. Yeah. In the, oh, there you go. Who died? And for you never not Rick? have mine.
3: It's always so It's always right. ready. Do you have mine? yours? I have are the are water deep my, coin It's in my too. drawer. I know it's in here. Oh, where'd my water? I had one water deep coin. I've lost it somewhere. i lose my oh.
0: up. Those were so fun. fun. Um,
3: uh, I do have it still. In oh, the yeah, yeah, it's still in the package. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That
0: means it can be used yeah. still. That's
3: right. There you go. You and you be. just bite it, and you hear a little scream in the back of your mind. Uh, so just get over it.
0: <laughs> that was your show bear. That was the soul of your show
3: bear. <gasps> oh. Oh. How dare you? <laughs> You're a horrible person. It. You love it. You love that. <laughs> you love to see it. <laughs>
0: Well, this has been awesome. So many great things uh, coming up. Uh, you know, I can't wait for everyone to be able to watch, uh, you know, Myrtle the bitch uh, in yeah, Dimension 20. Uh, and that cast is fantastic. What, what's the date when people are going to be able to watch that?
3: September 16th. Oh, so exciting. your calendars. And we'll do it. a premiere on YouTube and then it gets thrown behind dropout. uh and you can subscribe to Dropout to watch all the episodes of Pirates of Leviathan and all of the other cool side quests that they have. So yeah,
0: so great. Um, and you're you know you're doing stuff on Saving Throw Show, uh, yep. which is awesome, as well as all the amazing stuff you're doing uh, for Dungeon Masters Guild and things like that. Yeah. How can people <laughs> yes. follow along and and get to know uh, all of the projects that you're? brain is working on
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah the easiest way to keep up with it because it's also what i check to see what i'm doing uh any given day (laughs) is to follow me on social media at quiddy q-u-i-d-d-i-e and mostly on twitter instagram is a it's an unfathomable thing to me i'm like how do you what's what will people engage with so i'll just tweet mostly and yeah have a full schedule out on there
0: awesome (laughs)
1: <laughs> and give a real quick shout out to your day job, which we didn't even get to talk about. Oh,
3: yeah. Uh, my day job is I am the <laughs> chief marketing officer for Dice Envy, uh, which is a dice company. It's an e-commerce company. And uh, if you have liked any of the names of our dice, you can thank me for that. I will take credit for naming a metal set America's ass because they look like Captain America dice. And I don't regret it. I don't regret it. And a and lot of I
0: sold out of in minutes, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Sorry, not sorry. I'm not at all sorry. <laughs> well, everybody needs dice. We always need you them. You always so. need them. You have yes. to have more. Yes. Grow your horde. Got, <laughs> I
0: got dice in every surface it feels like, ready to be rolled.
3: There it goes. I feel like I've always got like one die in a pocket. And I know part of that's because of work stuff, but I'm just like, there's just always a D20 on me somewhere. It's the world's worst superpower. Just Is that... Ugh. Is that an Alanis
1: Morissette song? (laughs) It is. I got it's really good. Actually, it was on Pocket. (laughs) It was on Fiona Apple's new. Her new album was great. (laughs) I Would also love to play D anD D with Fiona.
0: Oh my god, I would too. I recently told. Wonder what kind of characters. My daughter's name is Fiona, and we told her. I mean, we told her this for many years, but she kind of like cemented in her brain. She's like, "Wait a second, I'm named after Fiona Apple." And I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, we like the name because we like that. You know." The music that she put out, and so she's been like turning me like, "There's a real person out there that was my namesake." Yeah, so oh. now we absolutely have One to play D with her, meet. and maybe Fiona oh will dungeon yes. master.
1: Oh yeah, she's playing with a bunch of Fionas. Fiona from
3: Shrek.
0: Yeah, yes, right. Cameron Fiona Diaz. Apple. We'll get Cameron Diaz. Old-
3: Wait, I that's it. I'm out. <laughs> I think Cameron Diaz would actually be very good at D and D. Oh yeah. And this is based only off of like my 11 second memory of her at the beginning of. Charlie's Angels when she's dancing in underoos and something about that has informed a very big opinion. (laughs) D and D energy definitely from that scene. Yep, she's a chaos goblin. She'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) that is very very true. Uh, And then uh, we have to play uh, some Twilight Imperium at some point in the future. We got to figure out how to do that online. Uh, You know,
3: there's a bunch of like there's new content coming out for Twilight Imperium, right? Oh, we'll talk. Nice. Yeah, I, there's a bunch of new stuff coming out.
0: I need to play. It's been so long, uh, so we, we got to make it happen.
3: S- strap talk in. We're going to play a, Yeah, we're going to play an 18 <laughs> to 96 hour game of Twilight Imperium. Yeah, um, and we're going mean, to add
0: role-playing elements, so it'll be There you go. Crazier. Everyone has
3: to do a voice. <laughs> Welcome to my TI game.
0: <laughs> I want to. Oh, I <laughs> want a fun awesome. alien voice.
3: Beep, boop. There's my alien. I mean, Shelly, you be a droid. I'm so sorry. You overheard it, therefore you have to show up. I'm in. That's I'm in. The, Those are the rules. I don't make that.
0: You love diplomacy <laughs> so much. This will be uh, just like that.
3: Yes. How dare you? Diplomacy. Okay, I love diplomacy. My ADHD always writes down, like, an order wrong. Oh. Um, and it, like, I, like, I want to burn the world for it. Like, no. No, my troops no. bounced wow. off of each other because I'm... A uh, stupid. <laughs> I wish that, I no, wish that you just, was my you, just, you couldn't fill
0: out forms correctly, which is yeah. very <laughs> much like what military <laughs> inadequacies are all about. Too oh,
1: much yeah. process. <laughs> <laughs> Too many forms. This is all corporate BS. <laughs> yes,
0: Yes. Oh all I right. I wish well, that was my problem. It's with a joy. You've been fantastic. Uh everybody should follow you at Quiddy on Twitter. Uh and uh we'll tune in to see all of your fun stuff coming forward. Yes.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much. This was so fun. It really was. Thank you.
0: I loved talking to uh Abria. What a creative, uh just I, I don't know, I feel like we're of a like mind, you know? Uh who
1: I agree. Her, you and your your Twilight and Period. Yes. Why did, why did I, as
0: well as you know, the comedy background, the the feeling of not being able to the whole, the whole
1: do thing.
0: projects uh, in a way that makes sense, uh, you know, the ADHD thing. Uh, yeah, all of the above. Uh, she's she's you know kindred spirit.
1: Yep, she's amazing. I love it. I could have kept on talking.
0: I know, right? We've been getting really great guests uh, as always on Dragon Talk, but it just I never wanted to end. I want to just keep talking forever.
1: Yes, and the fact that she's in um, a game with with Christina Ariel is like it's like magic yeah. to me. I just want to just sit and and listen to the. Two Have you ever played play with uh, with Christina or or Aubrey. No.
0: Well, you need to. No, That's it. I,
1: I I would in like a hundred half of seconds be there like by foot barefoot. <laughs> I would just like I'm here. I'm ready, whatever.
0: <laughs> I love that you started being like, in 100 seconds, but you're like, wait, no. Yeah, I'm like,
1: wait, well, no, wait, that's too long. Like, you're saying the opposite. And <laughs> like, like, in like three and a half months, I, I would be there. <laughs> uh,
0: that's the real, uh, you know. Which
1: in today's world, that is actually very quick. That's
0: true, actually. If you, in, in three and a half months in 2020 time, is like three and a half seconds yeah, in 2010. It really time. is
1: 2020 time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I hope yeah. you are, uh, you know, doing awesomely in this year despite all of what's happening. And I think Dungeons and Dragons has a lot to offer, uh, as we mentioned uh, during the interview, in expanding your horizons and getting to try new things. And I hope you are doing that. And there's lots of resources for you to do that at dungeonsanddragons.com. Uh, there is a wonderful. Uh, uh, matchmaking service that we'll be touting even more so, but it's yawningportal.dnd.com. Uh, you'll be able to match up with other people uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, in the in the, the 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 times to come, and we're really excited about uh, you know making sure that people can do stuff like that uh, while we're still in quarantine and, and trying to stay as safe as possible from from COVID nineteen. Um, we're here to distract you as much as possible, so please yep. go to Dragon Plus. Download that onto your uh, phones. There's great content coming out from there, including interviews and previews, including uh, an interview with the illustrator for the great Dal D&D edition. Uh, lots of other great stuff is coming on there, including previews for Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden, that is dropping on September 15th, uh, so look for that. And uh, if you want to follow along from me, I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram, and Shelly, where are you at?
1: I'm at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Those are great places to follow along. Yeah. As to what we are saying are. about things.
1: Let's, let's stay in touch. The
0: social uh, stuff for Dungeons and Dragons is uh, usually Wizards underscore D&D. You can find that on Twitter as well as Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, And I want to give a shout out to Siren Sound, who puts together this podcast of Dragon Talk. That's Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr doing all the fun stuff there. And uh, Sean Mayowski and Pelham Green helping out on the video side of things. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I would even be more appreciative of those of you listening if you want to give a review, spread the word uh, about how you listen to Dragon Talk on your favorite platform of choice. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or just on the, you know, good old RSS feed or accessing it on DungeonsandDragons.com. dot com. So give a shout out, let people know, spread the word. We definitely want uh more people being able to be distracted with Dungeons and Dragons uh during this time.
1: Yep. yep. And learn about all these amazing people in our community. That's right. Which is really what we want to do. Lift you up.
0: Where we belong. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of which, uh, Drunky Two Shoes just had a wonderful conversation with the mother of a child and was directed to go to uh, a ship. The port. Yes. The name of the ship was the Hawks Down.
1: Yes. Hawks Down? Yes,
0: like feather, like down.
1: Oh, not like hawk down. Somebody help.
0: (laughs) Yes, no, it was like the hawk's feathers.
1: I don't know why. Okay. That's just what it was called. Okay. Hawk's down. So I'm heading there. I'm going to the port.
0: Okay. Um, you uh, are, you know, it's a small town, less than a thousand people. So there's not like tons of berths. Uh, there is one kind of major pier that sticks out into the water. And uh, there aren't any major big ships docked there. Nothing with like more than one mast. Uh, there are a few fishing vessels about, you know, 20 feet uh, in, in length. Uh, there, that looks like they're unloading the day's catch. This is now like kind of the afternoon. Uh, so you smell, you know, the, oh, the brininess as well as the dead fish odors.
1: Going to get real distracted being a tobacco. That's right.
0: Make me a, uh, <sighs> let me know, I had a will, uh, not a will save, a um, wisdom save.
1: <gasps> 20! You
0: got a 20? Wow. Uh, so you, you'd like save. just. Take a deep, deep inhalation uh, through your cat nose uh, with all yeah. of this, this uh, you know, delicious, uh, v- tender victuals uh, that you're smelling. Um, but you resist the temptation to oh. Oh. to go out there and try to to take a fish.
1: That's funny because tempt isn't temptations like another yeah, cat it's another
0: food cat food. Thing? Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to think of no
1: fancy. Feast I know that's for what me. I was trying
0: to think of. <laughs> <laughs> Tender Vittles was the only one I could remember, which I don't know if that's actually a brand name or if that was just a...
1: It's actually a... a it is. It is it? I think. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's a really weird name. Anyway. Anyway,
0: what do you do? You you're, you you uh, see some bustling. Right. You might be able to see someone. Yeah, I'm going to
1: go find... Uh, well, do I see any boats that are named the Hawks Down? No,
0: no, you don't.
1: Okay. So I'm going to go ask uh, someone who looks friendly.
0: Someone who looks friendly? Okay, make a perception check. Uh 17. seventeen uh all right so you yeah. stride up to a uh kind of a handsome looking uh sailor uh he doesn't have a you know he's, he's bare chested uh kind of pulling in rope from uh the um uh ship that he's working on and he kind of looks at you and uh gives like a you know hmm. and then goes about his work drunk again. he
1: says drunk he says Meow, sailor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meow. Meow.
0: And that's where we will leave it.
2: <laughs>
0: I like that as the, uh, the, the cliffhanger. Uh, perfect. Uh, leaving, leaving that one out to dry. Excellent. Mm. All right, so we will be back uh, in two weeks' time with another two episode weeks. of Dragon Talk, and we'll find out what happens with uh, the flirtations between Drunky Two Shoes and
1: I, cannot wait. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Love you.